0: To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com,
1: slash FilmDaily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Daily for Thursday, July 11th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writer, trend Trendbilly.
2: Hey, everyone.
1: Okay, we have a bunch of news to get to. Uh, I I promise one of these days we're going to record a water cooler, but it's just been kind of crazy here at Slash Film Headquarters. So uh, let's first talk about Star Wars because there's a bunch of Star Wars news that dropped. Uh, Yesterday, we learned of a new stormtrooper. Brad, tell us about it.
3: Yeah, out of nowhere yesterday, even though Star Wars won't be at San Diego Comic-Con with a panel or anything, uh, that doesn't mean they won't have a presence, uh, because Lucasfilm announced that they will have a special booth set up that will kind of pay tribute to the history of Stormtroopers. Uh, It'll have a, a bunch of different variants of the armor there's been over the years, from the Death Troopers to Rogue One to the original Imperial Stormtroopers. And one of them will be a brand new stormtrooper that will make its debut in Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, and that is the Sith trooper. Uh, this is a stormtrooper that we had heard of previously, just not by this name, because there were rumors that there was a, a new variation of stormtrooper dressed entirely in red armor, and that's exactly what this is. Um, but this isn't just a uh, a white stormtrooper that happens to have red armor. The the design definitely has a lot of similarities, but there are are some extra details in the armor and some of the tactical gear uh that the helmet actually the design is made to look just slightly more menacing the the eyes on the helmet are designed in such a way that it almost gives it like a, a scowl expression as opposed to the the basic blank you know kind of stormtrooper helmet and there's just a uh, little like subtle design differences on, on on the armor that has these uh lines on certain pieces of the armor there's some like extra like tactical parts that are on it that look like they probably work in tandem with their weapons, which um, are red and black as well. And they have quite an arsenal. If you look at the uh, exclusive Black Series figure that Hasbro will be releasing at Comic-Con, it comes with five different weapons, ranging from a small blaster to a huge uh, cannon, like a laser cannon. Um, and this just, it just looks really cool. The The best glimpse comes from the Hot Toys figure, just because they always have the most detailed uh, figures with their sixth scale. And along with the, the glimpse of how cool the armor is, there's also an interesting uh, new symbol used to represent the Sith that we haven't seen before. So much like the Rebel Alliance and uh, the Galactic Empire and the Jedi all have their own kind of circular logo, uh, the Sith now have their own circular logo as well.
1: Yeah, because the Sith have to, like you know, have banners and things to advertise themselves. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, they need to have flags.
3: Yeah. What's weird about this, though, is that uh, we kind of, um, it was understood, or at least we thought, anyway, that uh, Supreme Leader Snoke and Kylo Ren weren't necessarily Sith. They were just on the dark side of the Force.
1: Yeah, I I think J.J. Abrams actually said that when promoting Force Awakens. Someone asked him if... Snoke was a Sith, and he said no. I don't know if anybody ever confirmed if Kylo is a Sith or not.
3: Yeah, that's true. Kylo easily could could have been still, um, but he also has that designation of being the master of the Knights of Ren, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> uh, so you know, it'll be interesting to see what what um, how these operate. I, I would I'd be willing to bet these kind of work in the same way that like the Secret Service does for the president, where they're like they're the, the most you know trusted. Uh, people you know working around the the leaders of the first order uh, maybe more elite
1: maybe they would carry out uh, more dangerous deeds that kind of thing the question i have is like why haven't we seen these troopers earlier if they're like the secret service shouldn't we have seen them in the previous two installments i know you know star wars does this all the time but usually it's in the guise of like oh, we're going to a mountain planet, so we're going to introduce these mountain troopers. And that makes sense because we haven't seen the mountains yet. Do you know what I mean? But Well, maybe maybe it's a new thing that Kylo Ren has instituted now that he, he is the supreme leader, you know, because
3: before he was uh, working under Snoke. Snoke wasn't actually, you know, around until The Last Jedi, but he was on his own ship, so there's really no need to have them there, even though he had those Praetorian guards. So maybe this is something that Kylo Ren institutes to give him additional protection sh-
1: since he's the First Order leader now. That's a good point. Although I just assumed that the Knights of Ren were kind of like his his secret service of some kind. Uh Ben, what do you, what do you think of this? What do you make of this? Is, is this just further a further way to them to tie this into the previous eight films, you know, bringing it back to the Sith? Uh I guess so man. I got to be honest with you guys. Like this is more you and
0: Brad's realm of <laughs> Star Wars. Like this level of minutia, I I just sort of disengage from it when it gets down to this nev- level of like nitty-gritty stuff and I'm just like I just want the story. I just want to see the movie and and you know, uh see how these things factor in and then if they happen to be like a significant portion of the movie or or some sort of surprising uh, element then i might go a little deeper and try to like learn more about them but for me it's just this is for like deep star wars <laughs> fans and i just i'm just like a, a movie guy you know
1: <laughs> and you never know because they released these figures and these things like uh even uh were those new guards in last jedi in the red? The, uh, the, the praetorian the praetorian, yeah, guards. praetorian guards i mean they did have a big scene in that movie but they weren't really that much of a force
2: in that film
1: I would right. say, uh, so you know, they were all just
2: the... there for the aesthetic, really. Yeah,
1: I remember. I, re- remember I that... still think
3: they're very cool, though.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, there's been times where like Constable Zuvio was all over the marketing for Force Awakens. They had a figure; he wasn't even in the movie. They always introduce a droid that we think is going to be like super important, and then he just has like a one second scene, and you know, tons of action figures. So we don't know how big of a part these stormtroopers will have, but I will say, I think they look cool. I I was imagining from all the like the rumor and leaks and stuff that were coming out of the the film, they were saying there was going to be these red stormtroopers. I thought they were just going to be the same first order stormtrooper but painted red. And I think all those details that you were talking about, Brad, like the the slats and just the more menacing design, it, it is you know I'm in. Uh, but we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So if you want to check it out and you haven't seen it online, you can see the new toys. And they're gonna have like a first. They're gonna have like a uh, full sized prop replica at Comic Con, I think. Yeah, that yeah.
3: It? It'll be it'll be one of the mannequins that has an actual actual uh, armor set up on it. So everyone will get a real close up look at it and. Uh, Since we'll be on the ground at Comic-Con, we'll have some pictures from the show floor to give you guys a better look at that.
1: 100%. Okay, so that's not the only Star Wars news today. We also have some news on Star Wars Rise of the Resistance. This is the second ride coming to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Uh, Many people had assumed that it was going to be opening when the land opened. When Disney uh, announced that the land was opening with only one ride, people were surprised. and They thought that this was just going to come later on in the summer. But now with this announcement, this opening date announcement, it has shocked many people because it's delayed further than expected. Ben, what do we know?
0: Yeah, so Rise of the Resistance, which is being touted as – what do they call it? The most immersive and advanced attraction ever imagined in a Disney park is the official uh, description of this ride, uh, is going to be opening at Walt Disney World first. And that opening date is going to be on December 5th, 2019, and it won't actually be opening in Disneyland in Anaheim here in California until January 17th of 2020. So that is a a pretty significant uh, time period, you know, difference from when Galaxy's Edge opened here in California on May 31st. And then the Walt Disney World version opens on August 29th, and they're still going to have to wait, you know, over a good You know, uh, portion of time as well. So um, it's also surprising
1: because, like, they started construction on Galaxy's Edge here. Like, they they they, you know we posted those photos when we saw those full size ATATs, and they hadn't built those until I think six months later there, and that's part of that ride. So one would think that they would be ready here before they would be ready there, which gets me wondering. I know there's been all sorts of rumors that there's. Uh, the ride is not working correctly, that, you know, it has uh, some critical failures and they've been working to, you know, fix those critical failures. We don't know if any of that is true. Um, it, it also makes me wonder, this, re- this opening date, you said December, what was it? Uh, December 5th, December 2019. 5th. So that's like, you know, within two weeks of the opening of Rise of Skywalker. I wonder if that's strategic in some way. Like, will they have the world premiere rise of skywalker in orlando and that's part of why they're opening around that date or maybe to you know coincide they can do some combined marketing maybe Hmm. maybe it's more of of that kind of thing i don't know it's it's really yes
0: but like think about you know we've been talking a little bit about theme parks on the on the and disney specifically on the podcast recently and like this seems like a sorely needed attraction for Disney because, you know, Peter, you you especially have been keeping a really close eye on this, and like Disney War or, uh, Disneyland rather has been like relatively empty, you know, yeah. not nearly living up to the estimated number of people who would be visiting Galaxy's Edge here in California during these opening months, so. You know, I don't know if they would go as far as to like purposefully delay something just so they could like have some extra publicity and and have a premiere there when they could theoretically if they wanted to. You know, if if everything was uh, was operational or whatever, then they could, you know, have have, I think that trade, you know, having more people in the park would be more valuable to them.
1: I almost wonder, you know, when they were building this here and they were ahead of Orlando, if once they've reached the point where they were reaching like having these rumored failures with the ride system you know this is the most technologically advanced ride that disney has ever produced like you said uh if that information that they learned from that was since they were so far behind in orlando if they were able to implement changes that basically escalated that version of the ride to open before ours does that make sense <laughs> like yeah like, yeah so I'm, I'm wondering if that's possible uh, but th- this whole Disneyland resort thing is fascinating. I'm wondering on the next Disney earning call, how much of an impact this is gonna have because I you know, I have friends that are cast members. They have uh they have put a hiring freeze, they have cut hours, uh people that were part time that were expecting to get, you know, thirty hours a week are getting one day a week, like a four hour shift. Uh, you know, it's People's hours have been cut down. There's like a lot of performers. Like there's this Newsboys show that has been going on in DCA since Cars Land opened, whenever that is, and that's shutting down this month. So they're like trying to cut, you know, as much fat off what they're spending as possible because no one's coming here. And it, it seems to me, like you said, that people aren't coming. For, for a variety of reasons, which we've talked about on this podcast, I'm not going to go over it, But I think the one main one is people don't want to travel to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge when it's only half open. Do you know what I mean? With mm-hmm. only one ride. And I feel like delaying this further, it's just going to hurt them and their holiday earnings for the theme parks. But, I mean, I guess it's good for guests because, uh, you know, I was just there the other day and it was – it was empty it was really it was a really enjoyable experience from a guest perspective but uh for from disney must not be happy but uh okay let's move on from star wars to sam Raimi, uh let's talk about evil dead uh is there going to be another evil dead ht
2: well sam Raimi seems eager to get one off the ground or uh from under the ground you might say Um, I
1: knew there was a pun coming.
2: Um. So Bruce Campbell has reportedly hung up the chainsaw for good after reprising his role as the protagonist of the Evil Dead franchise in Ash versus the Evil Dead. But Sam Raimi seems like he wants to entice the star back to the to the franchise for a new movie sequel. Um, he's confirmed that he is currently in discussions with Bruce Campbell, Rob Tapert, to uh, p- possibly go one or two different ways for a new movie. He wants. To to do it as a feature film and not as another TV show. But he said if Bruce Campbell doesn't want to come out of retirement for this character he is willing to um, have this new Evil Dead sequel pick up the storyline from Fede Alvarez's 2013 remake slash reboot.
1: Okay, so this won't be a sequel to his original movies but this would be a sequel to the one that came out just a few years ago.
2: Yes, if he can't get Bruce Campbell back on board, but it seems like what else is Bruce Campbell doing?
1: Like, is he really like? (laughs) I'm like, I I mean, I I imagine he's like in some tropical place, you know, drinking some kind of tropical drink out of a coconut. But I'm, I'm sure he's not like swimming in the money. He doesn't have Scrooge McDuck's money pit, right? Like,
2: Uh, probably not. But um. Maybe he's trying to negotiate a little with Sam Raimi here. But uh, thats it's possible he could come back. There's always a possibility. Um, Bruce Campbell is still a very, you know, fit guy. So um, it's, uh, if if he comes back, then it would more likely be an, a direct sequel to the original Evil Dead movies. Uh, but uh, Sam Raimi also has a third option that he um, proposed in which both the, the Bruce Campbell movies and the Fede Alvarez reboot would take place in the same universe. So, a Evil Dead cinematic universe, you might say.
1: Hmm. Ben, Brad, do either of you want that? No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I mean, maybe just for like the uh just for the WTFness of it, like sure, yeah, go for broke, like why not, you know, but like you know, am I genuinely interested in it? No, I don't think
1: so. I didn't see the new Evil Dead, but it seems like it has such a different tone than the original, especially like Army of Darkness. Like, I don't even understand how those would mash together. But I don't know. Okay, Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about Sherlock Holmes 3, something that we've been talking about for what like six years now or something. Uh, Is this thing going to actually happen, Brad? It seems like it. Now
3: that uh, Robert Dunn Jr. is all finished with Iron Man, that's right, Iron Man is dead. Sorry, guys, if you don't know about it by now. Uh, but Robert Dunn Jr.'s schedule is much more free, and that was kind of what was holding up Sherlock Holmes 3 from happening in the what will be 10 years since uh, Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows was released by the time Sherlock Holmes 3 comes out. But it won't be Guy Ritchie behind the camera for the sequel, apparently. Uh, it will be Dexter Fletcher, fresh off directing the Elton John biopic Rocket Rocketman. Uh, he'll now be behind the camera for this sequel. We don't really know much about it, except uh, it sounds like it will probably take place in the United States during the time of the Old West, which uh, sounds fun enough to do another Sherlock Holmes movie. I personally didn't think uh, Game of Shadows was all that great, despite the introduction of Moriarty and having Jared Harris play him. But the prospect of having Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law as Holmes and Watson in the Wild West sounds like it could be pretty fun to me. Um, it, I'll, be, I'll be most interested to see whether or not there's still a good audience for these movies. Um, they were fairly popular when they came out. The The sequel made slightly less than the first one domestically, but it made uh, almost the same amount that it lost in the US domestic box office it gained in the international box office. So... Uh, it just remains to be seen whether or not the 10-year gap between sequels will, you know, create a sort of a detriment, I guess, for audiences to have an interest in it. Especially with all the franchise fatigue it seems there's been uh, this summer. But Robert Downey Jr. is a big star. People seem to have liked his take on Sherlock Holmes. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll find out when it comes out in December of
1: 2021. Is anybody here excited for Sherlock Holmes 3? I mean, I feel like I... Really loved that original movie. And then the sequel, the only thing I can remember loving about it is that Hans Zimmer Zimmer song. I think he was nominated for Academy Award for. Um, for D.H.T., Ben, are either of you excited? Not uh, particularly. Ben, yeah, you, 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 you're the big mystery guy here.
0: Yeah, and I, I love Sherlock Holmes as a character. I am interested in this because the Guy Ritchie style is so uh, unique and for Dexter Fletcher to come in, uh, you know, for the third movie in this franchise, I'm wondering if they're going to have it be, excuse me, more of like a, um, like a clean break almost from the first two movies. Like, and especially with that 10 year gap too, like if they're not going to have it rely so much on the mythology that they've already established in the, uh, in the first two movies, if it's going to be sort of like a clean entry point for people, um, I don't know that that could work. And Dexter Fletcher is an interesting guy. He's made, uh, uh, I mean, Rocket Man, as Brad said, but he also directed this movie called Eddie the Eagle, which I really liked from like 2015, I think. Um, and he's he's an actor as well. He started out as an actor. So he's definitely like an actor's director. So I, I feel like he could get um, really good performances out of Downey and Jude Law. And yeah, I, I like their chemistry as those characters. So I'm just yeah, I'm this one's a big question mark for me right now.
1: I feel like I, I still don't believe this is happening until it's in actual production. But um, let's talk about something interesting. I'm w- wondering what this is because I didn't actually get a chance to read the story before this broadcast. But uh, IMAX has announced that Spike Jones is joining them as an artist in residence. Ht, what does that even mean?
2: Um. That's a big question for now. He's going to be the first ever artist in residence for IMAX Entertainment. Um, And his role will supposedly help, quote, identify new creative opportunities and partnerships across its platform. So I'm assuming it has something to do with IMAX trying to expand its uh, sort of tech company um, uh, reach into something that's more creative. They've been doing some more experimental projects recently, like with Paul Thomas Anderson's *Anima*. They did a one-day screening of the 15-minute one-reeler, and I think that they're trying to do something more than just be a tool for blockbuster filmmaking. That's kind of what I'm seeing it for now. Um, there aren't a lot of details as to what Spike Jones's um, responsibilities or his role will be, but it seems like an interesting partnership.
1: Yeah, I mean, IMAX has always been about creating some, uh, like, exclusive content, either being exclusive and it being a 70 millimeter presentation, the aspect ratio. I'm wondering if they could maybe start, like, a way of, like, doing their own, like, short films before Hollywood features. Like, you know, get big people like Jones or Paul Thomas Anderson and, you know, attach that to the, the IMAX versions of films and maybe tempt people to come to theaters for that.
2: Hmm. That would be interesting. Um, Like in sort of along the lines of a Pixar short in a way.
1: Yeah. Like I'm I'm kind of wondering if that's even worth it for IMAX to spend that money. But I, I'm, I'm guessing at least from what I've heard, I'm guessing IMAX gets a bigger percentage of that box office money than like a normal theater does. So maybe it is. I don't know. Um, Speaking of box office, Hobbs and Shaw is coming out, is gearing to come out, and we f- have the tracking numbers. Ben, I'm really curious, how does this com- compare to the other Fast and the Furious franchise films?
0: Yeah, so Hobbs and Shaw is the first spinoff in the Fast and Furious franchise, and right now it is on track to pull in between 55 and $65 million domestically during its opening weekend. So that is a... a- pretty significant drop from uh, the most recent Fast and Furious movie, which was called The Fate of the Furious. That one came out in 2017 and had a $98 million opening weekend. So um, I, I actually did like a full sort of a box office ranking that you can find in, uh, on, in this article on Slash Film in the show notes. But uh, yeah, the, if, if Hobson Shaw actually tops out at the upper end of this projection and it makes $65 million, that's going to put it like in the low middle Uh, in terms of, like, ranking among the other Fast and Furious movies for domestic opening weekends. So that's not great, but, I mean, it it sort of makes sense for a spinoff. The interesting thing here, though, is that these are just domestic numbers, and the Fast and Furious franchise is, like, one of the most... Uh, dominant global franchises that we have In the modern blockbuster sphere right now So this movie is going to be opening in China Which is a huge deal for any major blockbuster Looking to maximize its profits So I think globally it's going to be just fine And will probably be the first of a lot of Fast and Furious spinoffs coming eventually um, Even though it may not you know, blow anybody away With the numbers that it does domestically
1: I'm, This is really curious to me because I really think that like Hobbs and Shaw are some of the best parts of the Fast and the Furious franchise and I assumed that we would be tracking higher than this I know this is a spinoff but maybe maybe I'm wrong maybe more people are coming out to these films for the family
0: yeah I mean that's that's kind of like the emotional heart of these films and I mean, I love the trailers of Hobbs and Shaw because they're just so ridiculous. But I wonder if people are, are starting to draw a line, you know, somewhere like, all right, how, you know, these, these vehicles have gone, have been launched out of planes. They've gone through skyscrapers. Like, how far are we going to go with this? And the answer is as far as Universal will take it. But yeah, um, yeah I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see if people are going to actually turn out for this one in a big way because, Dwayne Johnson is obviously like a, a big draw globally. And Jason Statham, you know, he's, he's not nearly as big of a star as Johnson is. Johnson's like arguably the biggest movie star in the world right now. Um, but he's still a, a decent draw himself. So, um, yeah, I was looking at their uh, their highest opening weekends of their careers. And all of them right now are Fast and Furious movies. So um, this one will probably be right up there with them. Yeah.
1: Okay, our last story for today is a story about Zack Snyder creating an animated – anime series for Netflix. HD, this sounds like it's half up your alley and then half not (laughs) up your alley.
2: Yeah, it's quite a Mad Libs of a headline, isn't it? Um, So Zack Snyder is creating an all-new original anime series for Netflix that will be, quote, set in the world of Norse mythology. He's partnering up with Jay Oliva, who he has uh, worked with before on his live-action feature films like Justice League, Batman v Superman, 300, Man of Steel, and uh, he's going to be creating and executive producing this series, while Oliva will be w- working as showrunner. So um, yeah, this is a quite a strange collaboration right here. Uh, Zack Snyder has never done an anime series before, though his, he's actually... Credited anime as uh, uh, being a big influence on some some of his films, such as *Sucker Punch* and even *Man of Steel*. So, and if you kind of look at his visual style, it's not that far from anime, uh, which I feel like I'm trying (laughs) to explain away the story a bit and trying to make it seem a little less weird. Um, And Zack Snyder has done animation before; he's worked on he's directed *The Legends of the Guardians* the owls of Kahool film which was a beautiful cg animated film uh if a messy movie but that no one um, saw so, unfortunately. that no one saw i saw it but it wasn't great um so we'll see it's a, uh, it's definitely an odd combination but um
1: and he also did that um watchman directed dvd animated movie the uh
2: the black the black sail
1: yeah so the curse of the black freighter i think yeah. yes that's yeah, right. that's that's it uh, which i never actually saw so yeah he does have some animated roots but um i don't know what do you what do you think of this like it sounds like it could be a compelling story i mean i guess i see how he's attacked like I-, I can connect the dots now that you've laid it out for me, H.T., especially, you know, he has a history with 300, and now this is mythology, and it's anime, which he's clearly been inspired by, but do we want to see Zack Snyder being in charge of this series?
2: Mm, Well, for me, I wonder if Zack Snyder has ever expressed an interest in anime beyond their sort of surface-level visual trappings. And if it'll just be more than the visual spectacle that we know him for. Uh, And if not, then I'm sure it'll be a very pretty and very visually stunning series. But um, maybe not something that people want to keep coming back to. But again, it could be it could be interesting.
1: I do like how these streaming services are giving these big filmmakers a place to be creative and and you know show what they're capable of and maybe maybe Zack Snyder's been restrained I hope not because <laughs> that 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 idea to me is pretty sad because it doesn't seem like he's been restrained.
0: I mean, the thing about this is like I, I give Zack Snyder a fair amount of crap because of some of the movies that he's made, but I feel like this particular instance is an opportunity of him or, or an, is an instance of him like um, basically using his position to give a longtime collaborator the reins of a project because Jay Oliva, I think that's how you pronounce his name, is like a storyboard guy who's been working with him as she as said on a bunch of different projects and Oliva is the one who's going to be the showrunner director and executive producer here and it seems like snyder might just be sort of attaching his name to it to like help get it you know get it off the ground kind of thing and like overseeing it from a like an executive producer standpoint just from a distance um and i don't know if that's the case then like this is a really cool move by Zack snyder to give you know somebody who clearly has a passion for animation and and story to visual storytelling the opportunity to tell a, a new story like this so um yeah, you know, more power to Zack Snyder, if that's actually what's going on
1: here. Well, very well said. I think that brings us to the end of today's Slash Home Daily. You can find more of all of our work at Slash You can find the links to the stories we talked about on today's podcast linked in the show notes. This podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at Slash And please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word.